0: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado.
1: Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff Show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca vs. Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave them a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 6A to the Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Atlanta, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. <laughs> um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I, hate, I already hate it. I
0: hate it. All right, welcome back to a Tuesday afternoon edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. Taping this, like I said, on a Tuesday afternoon. You know, haven't had enough coffee, maybe. Who knows? I don't know. But Jackson Gatlin of Locked On Rockets is here. Jackson, good afternoon, sir. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing pretty well, Chase. Happy to be here on the Chase Thomas podcast in the afternoon, as you already reiterated twice. Um, I also haven't had any coffee yet, so this might be a struggle bus for the both of us.
0: Oh man, I love the energy. Like you are clearly another podcast host. I don't think people will have to wonder whether or not you have uh, a podcast of your own. I think it's yeah, very clear. they won't they won't have to trudge their way through this one. <laughs> um, you're you're at the top of the game. Like Josh Nelson's still my favorite podcast voice of Sox Machine uh, for the White Sox, uh, friend of the show. But it's it's incredible. Like he, the fact that he's not a major league baseball announcer is insane to me. I will um, have to check it out. Yeah, it's great. Um, also your name when you say it really fast I don't know why it reminds me of like a cowboy at western cow like Jackson Gatlin just sounds like I don't know
2: it, it, it just sounds
0: very um, texasy
2: you know, there's a there's a host back when I was uh, spending my time at Sports Talk 790, the official flagship for the Houston Rockets, and I was a producer there. There's a host there, Ross Villarreal, and he would always uh, give me hell about my name because he said it sounded like an old-timey prospector. And I said, mm-hmm. well, no, yeah. I think it sounds presidential. Thank you very much. He said, no, 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 I'm not going to give you that much credit. But he was like, oh, Jackson Gatlin, uh, you know, <laughs> put the, you know, kind of the little twang on it, so –
0: Yes, it's just not a name you can be from New York. Like no one in New York grew up named Jackson Gatlin. Like there's just nothing you could do to tell me that like someone, "Oh, I was born and raised in Brooklyn." Oh, really? What's your name? Jackson Gatlin. No, it doesn't fit. Doesn't Yeah, uh, not not quite. <laughs> um, well, we're going to be talking about the Rockets this afternoon because the Rockets um are a very interesting team. They're going to be one of the 22 that are swarming down on Orlando next month. Um I am very optimistic on the Houston Rockets. I watched a lot of post Clint Capella, Roco Houston Rockets. I am very intrigued by Mike D'Antoni just going. This is our last run. Um, I I don't know what's going to happen next year. The contract stuff's weird. Like just going all out. I there are a lot of variables that I think um, work in the Rockets' favor. Um, seeing what James Harden and Russell Westbrook have been up to, uh, during the quarantine. Also. A positive. Um, I think the Rockets can win the title this year, and I don't know if that's a surprise to you um, or if you're with me on this. But I, I think there's a path. I'm not saying they should be the favorites of the Lakers, the Bucks, or the Clippers. Even though on the podcast yesterday, I would actually give them a better chance than the Bucks. They're my number two. It's Lakers one, Rockets two, Clippers three, Bucks four for me. And the case I made is the numbers with um, that by man unit that we talked about. I'm all in. I'm all in on the three-man unit of Tucker, James Harden, and um, Russell Westbrook. I love Russell Westbrook, threes, And I also love the idea of the Rockets playing five or six guys for the course of two months where they just don't care. They're just going to play veterans and guys who know how to play basketball for 40 minutes a night and see what happens. And I think that wins a lot of playoff games. I don't know if they can get to that final bit. But I've talked myself into it. That is my spiel to open up here: is that I've talked myself into the Houston Rockets going on a crazy run that just drives everybody mad.
2: Well, I, I first off, I appreciate that you've talked yourself into it, mainly because it feels like I'm constantly trying to talk others into it, mm. and so having somebody who's already talked themselves into it is uh, a very refreshing feeling. Now, it's funny you mentioned, you know, the fact that you know talking about the Rockets playing, you know, just six or seven guys and playing them, you know, forty plus minutes a night because. Kelly Eco of The Athletic actually just dropped a piece today after a phone Q&A with Rockets head coach Mike D'Antoni. And apparently over this, you know, three, four month long hiatus, Mike D'Antoni, Daryl Morey, they've been kind of pouring over the numbers. And D'Antoni is now, it seems pretty confident that he knows that his magical number for his rotation needs to be nine guys and not seven guys. And Ah. so that's You know, one, that's great to hear, because I think one of the major issues that uh, Rockets fans and even the media have critiqued for for a while now is the fact that Mike D'Antoni has this, you know, he's really stuck in the mud with running a seven man rotation and kind of running his players into the ground. And I think when you're playing this high intensity style of basketball where you are playing small ball, where the you know, the tallest guy on the court is Robert Covington at a towering six foot seven inches, you know there's a very slim margin for error and you have to give your all every possession. It's, you know, you don't have a big, like a Clint Capella or a Rudy Gobert sitting back there in the paint, ready to cover you for any defensive mistakes or defensive lapses. You have to play strong, committed team defense, every possession, or you're going to suffer breakdowns. And I think that imagining this team after, you know, the two to three months that they've had to, Rest, to relax, to get their bodies right, because there were a number of injuries. James Harden was dealing with a, a knee, a lingering knee injury, as well as a wrist injury. Uh, PJ Tucker had the shoulder stinger. Eric Gordon hasn't been right all season. And, you know, thinking about this team being the oldest team in the NBA, getting, you know, that two to three months to be rested, rejuvenated, and come back and make some noise, as well as also having this training camp coming up to really focus on some of the the niche aspects of small ball some of the areas that kind of probably get looked over when you orchestrate a mid-season trade of this magnitude where you completely reshape the identity of the team halfway through the season you don't get that opportunity to sit down with the coaching staff to really hammer out the nitty-gritty details you just kind of have to deal with these things on the fly and now they're going to have that chance to really coalesce and come together as a unit and come back and make some noise
0: Hmm. well there's a lot there i um I, I guess, so the four that we have to throw in there, it's going to be House, I'm assuming. Like, let's map out the four. If he's going to do a nine-man rotation, it's going to be House. We're Like, we should go ahead and say, it's going to be Harden, Westbrook, Gordon, um, Rocco, and PJ Tucker starting out. Um, We can go ahead and lock that in, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, if, if you, I mean, I don't want to deal with semantics, right? But, like, Gordon wouldn't be a starter, so. Oh, you don't think in the playoffs they're just going to start him. N- no, unfortunately. So here's the thing is, I do think that, For the Rockets, best case scenario, you know, the way that they have to balance their rotation is you need two of three guys on the court at all times, and that's James Harden, Russell Westbrook, and Eric Gordon. Yeah. And so largely for the season, they haven't been able to experience that because of Eric Gordon's struggles, his, uh, you know, his knee problem earlier on, and then just kind of kind of wasn't himself to start the season. And they experimented with having him in the starting lineup and then pulling him off the bench. And they're really at their deadliest when they're able to have two of those three guys on the court at all times. And it really messes with the rotations and the substitution patterns if you start Eric Gordon. So Mm. I don't think he's he's not going to start. The starting lineup will definitely be James Harden, Russell Westbrook. Daniel House Jr., Robert Covington, P.J. Tucker. So that's your starting five. Okay. And then we have Gordon, Rivers, Macklemore and so, who's the final guy. So that so that's where the argument kind of falls right now. So it's definitely Gordon Rivers off your bench. That's, that's your one two yeah. punch off the bench. Then Jeff Green has found himself mm. a nice niche as the backup 5 yeah. because he gives you a little bit more size at 6-9 and he gives you a guy who has a little bit of rolling ability where he can kind of roll to the rim but he can also play that 5 out style that they've grown accustomed to. So he is now your se- uh, sorry, your eighth man. And so that leaves Ben McLemore and Damari Carroll as your guys who are up for the ninth spot. And I think it's broken. So we go McLemore, right? (laughs) Uh, Well, I mean, you know, it's it's tough because. I think it's situational. Mm. I think that the veteran presence that Carroll has, you know, can be can be beneficial. And I think. And this is kind of a, a hot take, but Daniel House Jr. might be the one who sees his roster minutes get cut simply because the the offense that Ben McLemore brings is insane. He's been shooting the lights out of the ball. I think he's one of the top five three point shooters in the league this year. And, and three man lineups with McLemore, the offensive ratings
0: are ridiculous. Absolutely, he also only shoot threes. He's in the Duncan uh, Robinson role out west. Like, his, yeah, he, he has one job. <laughs>
2: Exactly. And he's and he's completely bought into it. Like if yes. you look at his shot charts from, you know, the, his any of his previous seasons to this season now, he completely bought into the Moriball ball system. And I trust me, look, if if you go back and listen to some of my earlier episodes from locked on, I give Ben McLemore a lot of credit for his shooting. I also give him a lot of grief for the fact that he is a defensive liability. And that's where I fall into an issue with him, because I feel like if you have the three, if you if you have Ben McLemore, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden all on the court at the same time, you are very susceptible to defensive lapses, and you know that's just because at times Russell Westbrook falls asleep off the ball, James Harden same thing. Ben McLemore is not a great on-ball defender or off-ball defender, and. That's my biggest concern with him. Whereas Damari Carroll gives you that veteran presence, gives you another defensive minded guy who's also not a liability on the offensive end. Cause he's shooting like 36% from behind the arc. I want to say if memory serves. And so I think that's kind of the toss up with the rotation and it remains to be seen. I think it'll be situational, but I do think we could see Daniel house's minutes getting cut if he's not performing because he's the most inconsistent of those three players. Interesting. Um,
0: when you look back, when the Rocco trade happened and they they went full small ball, they went P.J. Tucker at the five, what did you see with Rocco in the lineup that changed things for the Rockets? Like, we have, like I have another part of this, which is the Westbrook not shooting threes anymore, but with Rocco, what did you see? I'm a big Rocco guy, but what did you see was different about the way he bought in, the way he changed not only how the Rockets play, but just kind of their long-term fortune?
2: Well, I think... When the trade first happened, everybody thought, "Okay, well, how do you play without a center? Fun story. It's really they're not playing without a center simply because the combination of players in P.J. Tucker and Robert Covington being your front line, they operate as a center. And I think Mm -hmm. that Robert Covington really has excelled in being that weak side defender, that weak side presence where he can come over. And B, that weak side shot blocker, I mean, he averaged, it was, he had a six or seven game streak where he had three or more blocks per game, which has only ever been done by Hakeem Olajuwon before him, you know, in a Rockets jersey. And, you know, I remember that stretch just thinking, okay, you know, how many blocks is Covington going to get tonight? Because he's got one, his defensive IQ is through the roof. I mean, he can guard every position one through five. He might be giving up a little bit of weight if he's guarding opposing fives, but still he's got the length, the seven foot two wingspan, the athleticism. So watching him play defensively for this Rockets unit, I never really felt like they gave up a lot defensively. I felt like they kind of just swapped out their chips. I don't know if that's a good expression to use, but, you know, Clint Capella was one version of Rockets defense where they kind of, they funneled, you know, drives in towards Capella and expected him to kind of help off of those uh, perimeter lapses and things like that. But with Robert Cummington, it's just, it's a different style of defense but I feel like it's, it's just as effective I feel like they I like remembering their their defensive rating I think it's only dropped by like a point since they switched to Covington which is substantial because everybody thought the Rockets defense was going to be atrocious giving up their center hmm.
0: yeah and I, I I've enjoyed it and I think it's going to be good Um, how much was it when you're watching these games and you're thinking about just Westbrook missing three after three and just going, okay, this is bad. Uh, we bought in, we moved out Chris Paul for Russell Westbrook. This is early in the season. You're like, this is this partnership with the Harden. It's just not going to work. And then he becomes a slashing machine, an off ball machine, using his athleticism to the best of his abilities. What really changed? What was the real change? Because we all like, we're just like, oh, Westbrook doesn't shoot threes anymore. And now he's back to superstar MVP type player. Like, what did you see? Do you think the jump was that huge? Did you notice a gigantic movement in his play and also just like was that a
2: D'Antoni thing or was that a maury thing like how did that come about so going back and looking at previous interviews and kind of digging through trying to see where the shift originally occurred i do think it was a it was a directive from the organization from upper management from From uh, Mike D'Antoni himself, where they did want Russell Westbrook to try and buy in and shoot the wide open three pointers. They were convinced that if Westbrook took only the wide open three pointers that he would shoot about 30 to 32 percent from behind the arc. And that just didn't happen. He he started the season shooting like 21 percent from behind the arc. Just horrible. And. As that progressed, they, they stuck with it and they just eventually they realized it's not going to work. And I think it was kind of a two-part thing. I think the organization realized that's not how you get the most out of Russell Westbrook. And then I think Russ, too, realized this wasn't his style of basketball. And I think that when that shift happened, which is roughly January 1st, because basically since January, Russ has taken off and been playing really at an MVP caliber level. You know, there's no way that he'll be in the MVP discussion for this year. And he shouldn't be because the first two months of the season were not anywhere near an MVP caliber level. But the way that he's been playing since that that noted shift in his mentality on how he's going to operate offensively within the system is it's, it's night and day. You know, he decided to completely eliminate the three point shots, except for the ones that are just uh, insanely wide open, you know, and he really takes them within the flow of the offense. There's no more forcing three point shots. You know, he'll take one at the end of a shot clock. If, if the ball finds its, finds its way into his hands and there's no other shot for him to take, or he doesn't have time to step inside the arc and take a mid range two or drive the ball in, or he'll take it if it's, you know, just completely wide open. But I think his Average three-point attempts are down to like two a game or 2.5 a game or something like that, and it really spoke to me at least and I think to a lot of other people about Russ's desire to win and his ability to kind of – modify his game to whatever the team needed right he realized and i think the organization realized that it just wasn't working and so he completely shifted his focus to what he does excel at and people wondered for years well why is Russ shooting all these threes in okc why is he playing this certain way maybe he just never had the never had the desire to do it then or maybe desire is the wrong word maybe he never felt like he could do it then that he had to play a certain way in Oklahoma City but now we're seeing and we have seen it since January 1st that he can play this more efficient style of basketball where he sticks to just his strengths rather than you know trying to throw up a bunch of three-pointers and be this you know the the hero on offense he just sticks to what he is good at and the Rockets have looked a lot better since then it just really sucks that you know, him making that change coincided with pretty much Harden's worst month as a Houston Rocket ever in that January.
0: So, is that fair to say that those two are not connected and that those you can't blame Harden's bad month on Westbrook's resurgence, or was that just strictly a Harden injury thing and Westbrook just picked up the slack and it just, it time just happened like that?
2: I think it was just unfortunate timing. I don't, I don't buy into Russell Westbrook's resurgence uh, or his increased level of play hindering James Harden's ability to play because then you look back at February and the Rockets were uh, nine and two in February in games that James Harden played. And I think they were like eight and one in games that Russ played because he sat out a couple games that month because of uh, the not playing on back to backs. And so you look at February and you think, okay, yeah, these guys are, are, they're, they're more than capable of playing together and they're more than capable of playing the style of basketball together. Mainly because it's the exact same style that we saw for two years with Chris Paul here in Houston is basically it's my turn, your turn. And, you know, when James Harden and Russ are on the court together, James will probably dominate the ball a little bit more because he's the alpha. It's his team. And, you know, but there are plenty.
0: So that's a real thing, because when we think alpha, we think Westbrook over Harden. But like Westbrook is still giving the keys to to Harden this year. Like he knows it's his team.
2: Yeah, like I and I don't think, in a way, right? I think that expression is funny because I don't think it was ever Westbrook giving the keys to Harden. The keys have always been Harden's. Th- yeah. This I think Westbrook knew coming fall. in. Even with Paul, yeah, I think Westbrook knew coming in and Chris Paul knew coming in. This was James Harden's team. I think the only time that this was ever a question of whose team it was, was that very first year with Dwight Howard. There was a legitimate question whether it was Harden's team or Howard's team and even the the marketing, right, for the Houston Rockets back then, all the posters and everything. James and Dwight were blown up just as big as each other, right? They were like the two headed, the two horns of the Houston Rockets. And then as that year progressed, we slowly realized, no, this is James Harden's team and from that point forward we never looked back it's always been Harden's team now Chandler
0: Parsons or not not
2: Chandler Parsons no definitely not Chandler Parsons not uh not Jeremy Lin's team unfortunately not Patrick Beverly's team oh yeah no you know what I think Ryan I think this is probably his team for a few months while he was here after you know after that dunk on Alex Lin this was absolutely his team for at least a night you know that that plane ride home after that dunk over Alex Lin in Phoenix I mean he he killed a man on TV
0: Alex Lynn's one of the worst basketball players I've ever had the privilege of watching. I, the, it is it really a privilege at that point? Yeah, because I the Hawks were going to be bad anyway this season. But replacing Dwayne Dedmon, who's just a great veteran three pick and pop three guy that I just loved watching last year with Trey, um, to go from Dedmon to Alex Lynn this year was just um, just awful. Like, well, now you have Capella there. So I I, I I don't I was hesitating like it's in my notes to ask you about the Capella stuff, but i'm nervous um i think he'll be a great rim runner for trey but the idea like his contract is terrifying and also um they have to decide if they're gonna pay john collins and paying 40-ish percent of your cap on two bigs in the year of 2020 is a failed proposition in my opinion <laughs> <and> a fireable <laughs> yeah. offense like i just like schlink has to resign immediately i mean he should have already resigned for the trey um Luca trade um that that it's just over um but if you pay John Collins the max or anything close to it and you've already acquired Clint Capella that it's just what what are you doing this is not how the basketball play anymore paying one big is already scary paying two you're out of your mind like you can't win. They don't get the ball enough. Their value is just never big enough. You pay wings, you pay guards, and then if they're like a Joel Embiid or Nikolai Jokic type, then sure, pay him. But the Rockets made the right decision. They were like Capella was good for us for a couple of years, but guess what? Um, we're gonna add another wing who can also do multiple things because Roko can, like you said, slide in and be a rim protector, but he also can open things up on offense where Clint Capella couldn't. And um, I don't know. Like it, the Capella stuff is just. It, it, it would be okay I, if Collins is not also paid like if they trade Collins for good value then I can live with it but if they pay them both I'm gonna lose my mind
2: by that same token though the the, the Hawks have a really good young core and if you do, do pay are we sure
0: are we sure I, are, are I, we I, sure? I, I think the have high upside this year I, I more I than really, the Cavs, who have a terrible so, core with Darius Garland and Colin Sexton and tra- <laughs> Here, here's my thing right is I I genuinely say think this, that and I'm still like I've watched
2: all these games are we sure it trades good who else tra- give me one so Here's my thing: is it pairing Trey with Clint Capella? I know he's not, you know. I, I know the league is definitely moving away from bigs, but I think the one thing that they probably looked at was, okay, look at how dominant James Harden and Clint Capella have been for the last, you know, X number yeah. of years, right? in In a stacked Western Conference, no less. And so, I think there's some hope that that Trey and Clint will be able to replicate some of that, especially you should. know, with with the pick and roll in the East. Like, I, I really think. That that duo as well as as well as being able to stretch the floor, bringing, you know, having John Collins at that four spot alongside Capella, you know, oh. I, I think oh. I think it has potential and oh. and I, I want to see it play out at least, you know, next season before before we we say, yep, this sucks. It's not going to work. <laughs>
0: Well then you're in a just a no-win situation because then at that point you've already paid him. Because like they have to make their
2: mind up on John Collins this summer. Like they're going to get ugly. See, here's the thing is if you pay John Collins, somebody if you don't pay John Collins, somebody else is gonna pay him, right? Perfect. So
0: he's not a (laughs) he's not an important player. Like you can find John Collins anywhere. You can find guys like him. He's not a you have to allocate certain money. So like they have to worry about what Cam Reddish becomes, what DeAndre Hunter becomes, what their top five pick this year becomes. And Trey becomes and Herder to an extent, but he's not a lottery guy. So like whatever you get out of that, you're like, okay, awesome. Um, you've already paid Capella. Capella's making, I think, twenty percent of their cap. Like, Trey is gonna get the max. That's already one max slot gone. Like, you have to forecast the next three to five years. And if you prioritize Capella and Collins over the next three, like there's just not a lot of money left over. And when you fail at signing any kind of veteran who can actually help and ensure that these young guys are developing the right way um you run into all kinds of problems which the hawks did they they just did not spend enough on veterans and bringing in guys on one-year contracts that could help um vince carter's fun story but he's a bad <laughs> basketball player in you know
2: that that's fair i don't i don't know the cap or the the cap situation for the hawks you know completely off the top of my head but you don't but, have you know,
0: to know they- much about the cap to know that like paying 50 percent of your salary cap to two bigs in 2020 is just
2: insane that that part is true you know if if collins is demanding the max then he he's, the max, I'll be, yeah
0: that's elsewhere he yeah a max
2: player it's like good luck bro like i sure the kings will love
0: to do that go ahead see you later no you don't do that deandre hunter is your long-term four like that's it like you trade it up for this guy you have to put like i want to see capella hunter reddish herder trey on the four together and then that's not even including whoever their lottery picks gonna be this year all these guys are going to work out. Most teams, it doesn't work out. You get one, and you luck out. Like, Trey's the second-best player in that draft. Like, he is the second-best player. He's going to be a multi-time All-Star. He's great. He can't be the number one on a title team. But you are not going to hit on all these guys. Like, you are going to miss on um, one of them.
2: Like, oh, gonna, you, one you don't... One these guys no, are it's, Andrew it's Wiggins. So, hang on. It's so early in Trey's no, career. You don't it, think he'd be
0: number one on a title team? No. He's six foot and gets... Distra- he's dead last in defensive real plus minus in back-to-back seasons. Like, in the league. No, he's he can't. He's just not big enough. There is never gonna be a scenario where Trey Young can be the best player on a championship team. None. He'll never be a top five player.
2: You know, I, I really look forward to like five years down the line, like coming back and revisiting this podcast, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna bust out the receipts. Like if it oh, ever I happens. Wait.
0: I hope I'm wrong. Like that's the thing is like I would love to be wrong about this. I watch every game. I am a Hawks fan. I want to be wrong. I want to be wrong. Luka Doncic is winning MVP next year. Luka Doncic has the number one offense in the NBA in year two. They are number one in offense writing. Your team, number two. People forget that. You lost. Like, that was, like, it's over. Like, you've already lost the Luka trade. Like, it's
2: over. It is over. I To be fair, I agree. The, the Luka trade was lost. But I still don't think that means that Trey can't be the number one on a championship team. I think he's too talented. Can
0: you really get to the point where you're at Steph, Katie, LeBron that level do you really Kawhi? do you really think he's jumping into that top five because you have to get there at this point to really be a title contending guy you have to be a two-way player steph is a two-way player steph gets steals. steph does stuff he's also a like steph is six three trey is not 6'3". steph as a two-way player
2: is the hottest take i've heard in a minute steph tries man steph's the so four he, player
0: i Even mean james harden's improved and james is big and he can take guys on in the post like james at least has some kind of defensive upside When he tries, right? Like you watch a lot of James Harden. Is he like, is he as bad as he was three years ago?
2: no not not by any stretch of the imagination what helps james is he's huge right like he's gigantic like it helps but you can i mean the golden state warriors though even throughout all of their all their title runs right they still hide steph curry on defense right he's still a all
0: nba defense i'm saying that he tries he gets steals he can contest he's big enough to contest trey can't contest trey will get murdered on pick. like you're not seeing teams in the playoffs just run steph curry through the ringer on pick and pops pick and rolls like they're that may have happened early on, but Steph's big. Steph's a—he's a big duty. It's just not happening that same way. Like it's not like he's that big of a liability where it hinders them from
2: title contention. Like no, but he would—he would, he would still get—he would does. still get brutalized in isolation, though. I mean, that's what the Rockets would use consistently oh, against yeah. the Warriors. They—they'd they'd switch Steph into threat. isolation. Not to you've got to watch Trey get murdered on. That's that. You know what? That's fair. I don't watch enough Hawks games, and I do remember James Harden dropping 60 and three quarters against the Hawks. I watched that game. It was horrible for me.
0: Maybe
2: maybe I should stop advocating for Trey, but I
0: I, Hawks fans and I will never um, the Hawks fans who just think they're neck and neck. I That's what I just lose my mind. that This was a nice rabbit hole, though. I like this. (laughs) I I didn't I didn't
2: know coming in that you
0: were a Hawks fan. This is great. I'm losing my mind. I'm I'm fired up. Because I try to not uh, go down the Luca Trey rabbit hole, but uh, it's the worst moment in Atlanta sports for me in my lifetime. I remember where I was when the Luca trade happened. I remember like my excitement of drafting Luca and him falling to three, and then Travis Schlink ruining my life and um trading out for Trey Young. and that's the sucky thing is that if they had just if the kings or Suns had just taken Luca one or two, and then they bet on Trey at three
2: then you wouldn't even care. You'd be like, yeah, yeah he was gone. He was gone, but he was on the board. You guys had him and you're exactly. taking it as That's a personal problem, slight. I that can't he even was enjoy traded. Trey because if you had just taken him
0: at three, you picked the second best player in the draft. Great job. That was great scouting on your part. I can't enjoy it because it's like you traded back and you traded wrong. And then you trade up for DeAndre Hunter, but you'll trade back from Luka Doncic. Are you out of your mind? DeAndre Hunter is Andrew Wiggins. He will float in these games where you'll just forget he's out there. He has some Tony Snell to him. Where he'll run down the side of the court, and you're just like, has he touched the ball in seven minutes? <laughs> you cannot trade up in the lottery for Andrew Wiggins or Tony Snell. You can't do that. You are so impassioned about this, and I love every minute of it. This is this is incredible. I hate it. It's just it's awful. But you know what's been great? Cam Radish is actually getting some Paul Georginess to this game. Like before the season shut down, his shot was a lot better. Like he was one of the most incompetent offensive players i've ever seen coming into the league this year like just you should have seen some of the spin layups he was trying like cam was just freestyling and part of that wasn't his fault because the hawks were super young and just they're the exact opposite of the rockets that are just super old and only playing bets the hawks are just only playing young guys who don't know how to play basketball yet and they're freestyling and he was just his shot was broken he was doing weird stuff inside he couldn't really like he was trying to dribble and it was cam reddish was just a wild card and I was just like, oh my God, this was the other piece of the Luca trade. Last month, Cam's been good. Like Cam, Cam's good. I think he's actually going to be a good player. Like, do I think he's going to be a uh, top five, top 10 player in the league and make the Luca trade okay? No, but I think he's going to be good. Um, I'm a lot more in on him than Hunter. Uh, Herder scares me and the injury stuff scares me, but he's been, he's been good. But the other thing with Trey, and you see this with the Rockets, is what helps it makes everything okay with the way James Harden plays is that you don't have other young guys. You're trying to develop around him, right? Like when you bring in a Chris Paul or you bring in an Austin rivers, or you bring in a Russell Westbrook, you're bringing in older veterans who already know how to play basketball. That Quantifiable are, talent. Yeah. Right. When you're bringing in young guys around Trey, they can't develop because guess what? Trey has an over 30% usage rate. Like he can't, He has the ball in his hands all the time. Kevin Herter can't become a star if he doesn't have the ball in his hands. Like Part of becoming a star when you're young and becoming a more important player is you have to have the ball in your hands. Like It's just a part of the game. It's like you have to give these guys opportunities to bring the ball up, to lead pick and rolls, to lead pick and pops, to be an on-point, on-ball defender, and the Hawks don't allow anyone else to do that.
2: I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second and just say that Steph Curry's had plenty of opportunity with the ball in his hands and clay thompson came up alongside him and didn't need the ball in his hands to flourish as his running mate so granted you know so i'm just saying like it doesn't have you don't have to have the ball in your hands i think it just depends on the type of player you are but you know and trey is obviously a a guy that needs to be surrounded yeah he is absolutely clay every team in the league would love to have a clay thompson right but You know, I think that the type of player that Trey is, you have to surround him with those types of players or try to surround him with those types of players. And that's just, that's the name of the game is, you know, surround him with 3 and D type guys and see what happens.
0: Yeah, no thanks. Well, then you can't, (laughs) then you need to trade all these guys because that's just, why are you trading up in the lottery for 3 and D guys that you like, I want a Trevor Ariza. Great, then just go get the veteran version. What are we doing? Like, why are you trying to develop a Trevor Ariza on your roster? Like what? (sighs) I'm so fired up. I was not expecting to go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> Damn it, Jackson. Um, this leads us back organically uh, to your favorite five-man and three-man lineup in Houston this year.
2: Ooh, um, all right. I think five-man lineup, it's... It just has to go the what's been the starting five since committing to small ball. It's been the best lineup. The uh, plus minus differential on it has been insane through the roof. So that is Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Daniel Suqui. House Jr., Broco and P.J. Tucker. <laughs> not Zoukoui. No, unfortunately not. In fact, he's uh, no longer with the team.
0: It's unfortunate.
2: Harzenstein? Now, ha- yes. now hang on. T- time out. Time
0: out. You're talking about just this season, right? Are you talking about? Oh, like, yeah, yeah no, I am. Team? I'm just throwing out. Okay. Random Rockets okay. guys
2: that were like, oh, remember him in Summer League? Uh yeah. No, um I mean Hardy is a fan favorite, but um, you know, he he and he uh, Mike Antoni don't don't see eye to eye for some reason. He he is not allowed to play in, in a Rockets jersey at all, ever, apparently. Yeah. Um uh, But uh yeah, so I mean that's got that's gotta be the five-man lineup. Three-man lineup, that one's a bit more tough. I'm gonna go with I'm going to go Harden, Macklemore, Macklemore. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's I'm going Macklemore's Macklemore. offensive ratings with some of these three man lineups
0: are insane. It wouldn't
2: be crazy to throw that in there. I don't remember all of the three man lineups off the top of my head and the numbers behind them only because I haven't bothered looking at them in months now, but I'm going Harden, Macklemore and Rocco. Okay. And I mean, part of that, again, I've, I've given I've given a lot of hell to Ben McLemore for his defensive struggles, but for what he's been able to provide offensively, it's been insane. You know, I, I've I've gone so far as com- comparing Ben McLemore to Ryan Anderson. I've said he's the guard version of Ryan Anderson, because that's basically what he is. He's a defensive liability. He is a three point specialist. And that's it. That's basically all you're going to get out of him.
0: Who is skin your legs, Rocco or McLemore?
2: <sighs> Ooh, I'm gonna say Roko.
0: he has the skinniest legs I've ever seen I, I, it doesn't make any sense to me I have skinny legs I'm a chicken leg person but seeing an NBA player like Rocco with legs like that always blow my mind
2: you know, what was messed up is I saw like a five man photo of the Rockets like promotional image from their 2008, 2009 season when they brought in Ron Artest. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't help myself looking at Tracy McGrady's legs, the, the, Tracy McGrady's legs thinking what toothpicks are those? Like, what is going on down there? Because he was standing next to Rafer Ralston and Rafer Ralston had bigger calves than T-Mac did. And I was like, what is going on? Like, T-Mac is six, eight. He's a wing, you know, and he's got these just ridiculously skinny legs meanwhile Ray Alston a 6-2 point guard you know has bigger bigger calves than he does what's going on so it's funny that you bring that up <laughs> there you go um something
0: that I think I have to ask you and you watch every Rockets game I don't watch every Rockets game I watch them a lot but for you and the fans is there the same disconnect where it's the same style over and over again do you actually get bored and do the Rockets fans get bored watching this style or does the national media have this wrong in that Rockets fans actually enjoy this and that this is actually a fun style to watch nine in nine out.
2: I I enjoy it every single game that I watch, you know, there, there are some times where the style of threes, dunks, layups and free throws can get a little frustrating, but it's only frustrating when you fall into one of those gaps where, nothing's working. But I think any basketball team, if you fall into a rut or if you're in a bad stretch where you just can't hit anything, it's not going to be a pleasant style to watch. You know, it just so happens that with the, the, the Daryl Morey Maury ball mantra, if if nothing's falling, it feels like you're just taking an ungodly amount of three pointers, or you're you're not working the ball inside enough, or you're settling for shots. But any team's going to feel that way. I think being able to watch two superstars in James Harden and Russell Westbrook decimate their opponents on a nightly basis is incredibly entertaining to watch. Now that by that same metric, I do appreciate a good you know, watching a good offense flow, some team basketball, a lot of passing, you know, you think, you know, 2014 San Antonio Spurs, that kind of thing. I appreciate that, you know, some, some style of the golden state warriors basketball, you know, when Kevin Durant was sitting or the pre KD era, but I still really enjoy what the Rockets are putting out there on a nightly basis. It's, I I don't get the, the national media bias and how hard they slam into what the Rockets do. It's, it's a different version of say like the hero ball from like the mid two thousands era, but it's, and it's not quite full blown isolation basketball. I don't know. I I personally enjoy it, but I understand somebody who would prefer to watch something different. I just don't understand why there's so much hate just because it is different. If that makes sense.
0: Absolutely. Um, last thing we got to wrap up here. Um, in your estimation, I remember listening to, um, a podcast last night i'm blanking on who it was that was talking about uh oh it was uh ethan strauss on oddly enough the federalist with ben dominich and he mentioned um just some weird complications with china and daryl Morey, and i don't know the inside scoop there but it we know that dan tony really wants to do this that this has some last ride feel to him daryl Morey with tillman fertita like we just we don't know at this point, what their futures are. But in your estimation, your best
2: guess are one or both back next season, or does it depend on the playoffs? I think Daryl Morey is absolutely 100% back next season. I think Mike D'Antoni depends on the playoffs. And I think that looking at what happened with the whole China gate situation and everything and how that all played out, if Daryl Morey was going to get axed because of that, it would have happened right when the incident happened. It would have happened right when Daryl Morey sent the tweet and it would have happened in that kind of period where there was radio silence from Adam Silver and the NBA and you know there was that that 3-4 day period where the NBA hadn't issued a statement on it. They were trying to figure out how to handle it. And then Adam Silver, you know, he gained a lot of respect from me and has ever since he's cuz he's encountered so many different situations as the commissioner, I think time and time again, he has proven to navigate them uh, with, you know, a clear and concise image for the NBA. And I've supported every single decision he's made as the commissioner that he came out and said, no, we will not censor our employees freedom of speech. And I think that was the right decision. Absolutely. And Tillman Fertitta's reaction to the tweet itself was a little inflammatory and very reactionary. But he didn't fire Daryl Morey, and I think now if he were to fire Daryl Morey a year later, it it just wouldn't make any sense. Like if you were going to do it, you just do it then, and I think because the NBA came out and then backed Daryl Morey's freedom of expression, freedom of speech, that it would then look even worse if Tillman Fertitta were to get rid of Daryl Morey. So I think Daryl Morey's job is safe. I think he he will leave when he chooses to leave. I think he is easily a top five, and you can make the argument top three GM in the league. He's constantly put out a product. That has been competitive. The Rockets haven't missed the playoffs since trading for James Harden. And you can say that that's just James Harden and that that's his floor, that, you know, he will drag a team to the playoffs regardless. But that's also the players and the pieces that Daryl Morey has put around James Harden. First, the acquisition of Dwight Howard, then orchestrating the beautiful trade for Chris Paul and then leveraging, you know, those assets and Chris Paul into Russell Westbrook. He's constantly making moves and trying to put the best possible team around his superstar. So his job is safe. Mike D'Antoni, I think it does depend on the playoffs, and I think it's always dependent on the playoffs. I think it's got to be, in my mind, a competitive Western Conference Finals at bare minimum for him to keep his job. I think anything short of a competitive Western Conference Finals, and he's out. So if you make it to the Western Conference Finals against the Lakers or the Clippers or whoever, and you get four games to one, four to two, then I think he's out. It's got to be a competitive, probably seven-game series for him to keep his job or past that.
0: Interesting.
2: And that's probably it. Like, I don't see him taking out the job. Like, this has got to be. It really is his last dance. So,
0: yeah, that's part. Of, I mean, part of the reason I'm buying Houston stock is I think they're going to. And Mori hatching out a plan. And I think they're just going to go. They're going to go for it. Um, All
2: right, man. Well, this has been great. Is there anything we should check out for me this week on Lockdown Rockets? absolutely well you know we're you know at locked on we are a daily podcast so we do one podcast every single day normally during the season so that's five podcasts a week monday through friday right now during the hiatus we've been down to just three shows a week so just you can check me out on twitter at jt gatlin the podcast is also on twitter at locked on rockets that's where all the updates come from that's where i post all my memes talking about slim jim harden and the fact that he has dropped about 20 pounds of weight during this hiatus so if you want to check me out if you want to check out anything and everything to do with with Clutch City, find me over there. Go do that. Jackson Key at the great work, sir. Thank you for the time. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. Look forward to doing this again soon.
1: This has been Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves, and I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or co-worker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. Goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Nicely done, nephew.